Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another installment of Undying Light. I am your host, as always, Alex, and I am back at it again with another installment in the book of Revelation. We are uh, just plowing through this book. It seems like we... uh, have been here forever, but it, but at the same time, it feels like we just started. And today we will be working through the rest of chapter six, uh, verses 12 through 17, and then starting in the seventh chapter. And we're going to go all the way through seven. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, some interesting conversations here because, um, some of this stuff doesn't necessarily pertain to the end of times really, but then it does. So we're going to look at uh, Israel being sealed. That's a big topic uh, in eschatology. It seems like there's a kind of a big divide there. And then we're going to get to the end of seven and we're going to see that great multitude from every nation. But first, we are going to finish breaking some of these seals which we talked about last week when we looked at the four horsemen. So there's uh, a horseman for each of the first four seals broken. And then we looked at the martyrs seal, which was broken the fifth seal. So that is the docket for today's show is the next couple of seals and then Israel and uh, and then the great multitudes. And then we will get into uh, the trumpets next week. We got some trumpet blasting, seven trumpets, and then we will, uh, after that, looks like we'll get into uh, silence in heaven, things like that. Um, so we've got a lot uh, going on. Actually, it looks like the seven trumpets it entails the silence in heaven, things like that. So I got to get my order down before I tell you what's coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So seals, trumpets, bulls, all that jazz happening over the next couple of weeks on Undying Light. And, you know, kind of a really neat announcement here. This is the 146th episode. 
that is going to drop that we've done on this show. That includes all the bonus shows. That includes um, anything that was secondary. includes everything that Paul and I did way back when. And uh, that means we're only a couple of episodes away from a fairly substantial milestone of 150. And I think that's pretty amazing to show that the show is still going strong after 150 episodes. And, you know, when I mean going strong, we have over 85,000 total downloads, which is amazing. So thank you all for downloading and listening to the show. A little side note, if you don't have the opportunity um, to download the show, uh, and you get, or you have the opportunity to download the show, that helps us tremendously um, because the show is most podcasts, if not all podcasts, depending on your platform are um, kind of managed by how many downloads you get. So if you, um, you know, have Spotify, you can download it. If you have iTunes, you can download it. I think Podbean and like Google and all that do downloads as well. Um, we're also available on audible and Amazon that you can download and uh, so you can get all of that, uh, you know, we're, we're everywhere, right? So wherever you have an opportunity, download the show. That would be a tremendous help because it helps get the show kind of boosted in the ratings and, and visibility. And not only that, but if you have the opportunity, I would really appreciate if you could leave us a review what you think of the show, good or bad. I mean, if you want to leave me a one star, that's fine. I, I don't know why you'd be listening to me if I was only one star material. Hey, you know, maybe a two and a three. I could deal with that. Whatever floats your boat, guys, that would be wonderful if you could leave me a review. That also helps get us more visibility. So, guys, we are at... Just after this episode, for three more, right? So we'll have 47, 48, 49, and then we'll have the 140, 150th episode. And so um, <clears throat> prior to the show, uh, you know, I, I do this video recording for my Patreons, and I was kind of, I proposed this idea of having some of them come on, and we'll do kind of a big 150 celebratory episode, and that might drop on like a Tuesday. And we could talk about kind of the history of the show and the history of the ministry and all that behind on Dying Light, where the show is going to go. And we talk about like favorite episodes, favorite content, things like that. I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. So 150th episode is coming up pretty hot. Very excited for that. And thank you guys for listening and supporting the show and getting us to that point because you have been instrumental in the success of the show. And Honestly, I feel like we're only just beginning. We we had a, you know, kind of a chasm, if you would, uh, a time between, you know, the ending of Paul and I and, and then me taking over, you know, the show by myself. And, uh, you know, and then we started off with the attribute series that went pretty hot. We had a lot of guests on that show. Uh, and then I turned and went right into this big, you know, almost a year long episode series now for eschatology and uh you know we took a break around christmas for a short christmas series and that was a lot of fun had some really good episodes in there i uh, partnered with uh chris from ezra reads the, uh, the law uh for the christmas episode it was christmas eve i think we did 
Um, but we've had some fantastic guests on this show as well for this series here. We had the, uh, the Bible dingers, Nick, Mark, and Ryan come on and uh, do the episode on death. And we've had uh, Nick's pastor come on for the amillennialist episode. So, guys, if you don't have the or if you haven't yet, go make sure you listen to the Bible dingers. They just wrapped up another season um, as they are walking you through the New Testament. So they're doing some great stuff over there as well uh, with their show. Uh, so they're doing a high level view, kind of talking about what each book of the Bible does from eh, maybe like a five or 10,000 foot range. They do, uh, articulate and kind of spell out what's going on in there. Uh, what we're going to do, uh, in an upcoming series after eschatology is wrapped up is we're going to go book by book, verse by verse through the whole Bible. And we're going to talk about, uh, everything and all things that's going on in God's word. So that's a, a massive undertaking I, that we're going to take on. Uh, it probably will not come around for a while because the next series after this, I've mentioned a few times, we're going to look at the probably lesser known stories, characters in the Bible. So we're going to look at probably some Old Testament conversations. We're going to look at a few things in the book of Acts. And, uh, and then we're going to go forward. So I really haven't had that roadmap yet, but there's a couple books and some storylines, things like that. We're going to kind of pay attention to, and I don't know how long it'll be. Maybe, maybe a five or six episode series. Um, but either way, we're, you know, we still have probably like 15 episodes left in this series. And so we're, this is going to take us well into the summer or fall. And then we're going to, um, have a tremendous series after that with that, you know, to where it'll be, um, you know, I don't know, like I said, five, maybe 10 episodes. I don't know yet. So we're, we're probably still 20 to 25 weeks out in terms of going book by book through the Bible. And I haven't decided whether we're going to do it chronologically, um, or any of that that's still obviously down the road for us. So kind of dragging my feet here. We're eight minutes into the show and we've talked about the topic at hand and kind of the future of the show um, and what we've got on tap. And uh, as always, if you have listened to the show, you know, we are listener supported and all the contributions from the Patreon go to supporting this ministry. And if you want to come alongside us and support it you can do so for as little as a dollar a month i mean literally one dollar gets you access to everything i do i don't have tier systems or anything like that set up you can get in and jump into this bandwagon for pennies a day and uh, i think that's uh pretty substantial for what i give you in regards to what you you know financial because it's not all it's not about the money what i want to do is cultivate this community and this family and build everlasting relationships with people who love this show so for a dollar a month you get that but also know too all of the extra behind the scenes and and uh perks that you would get by joining the patreon group uh chat groups and the Discord and Instagram chat groups, you'll also get, uh, you know, obviously early release episodes. This one's going to release to them a couple days in advance. You'll get sermon notes a couple days in advance when I write my sermons every week. Uh, you'll also get input, you know, on uh, directions and sermons, too. I, I will sometimes post, you know, a question or something or another that would, uh, you know, I'm kind of interested in get somebody's feedback or opinion. Uh, you get 
be, you'll get uh, exclusive access to giveaways. We're going to do a big giveaway once we reach 75 Patreons. That is quickly approaching. And so we're going to do a commentary Bible giveaway or commentary giveaway. We're going to do um, a Logos Bible software giveaway once we reach 100. And then I think every um, 25 we'll do we'll do maybe a small giveaway at the 25 mark and then at once we hit another 50 we'll do a big giveaway so we'll do you know we'll do them as we kind of tear out going forward so that way uh, there's always milestones and uh, the patrons always get something in return for joining this ministry so like i said little is a dollar a month and you get so much more in return now for those who do listen to the show and follow me on instagram you'll notice that i haven't been online for quite a while. I've been taking a few days off of social media. You can still participate uh, if you're a part of the Patreon group with me in the chats, but in of itself, I have been absent from Instagram and I probably will remain so for a little bit of time. A lot of things going on in ministry and school and just life in general, and I just need to take a break. So, I'm going to be off for probably a couple of weeks, I'm thinking. I, I think I said a week in the initial post, but, uh, you know, I'm a couple days in as I'm recording this, and I'm really just feeling free and uh, much clearer in my mind and away from the drama, away from the petty arguments and things like that that are just, they just get old. So here we are. We're going to be working uh through this series and i'm still going to be doing uh the undying light page so i'll be doing like show updates on that but on reformed lifestyle i am taking a break for a couple of weeks and uh going forward so uh, every few I, I think i put another reminder just in the stories today of the of that break and then uh, uh obviously the patreon subscription that you can still be a part of the ministry, you just won't get my posts. And uh, as another little side note, too, as we approach the summer, we're going to be doing a Patreon-only commentary walkthrough. So we're going to look at like a book in the New Testament, and we're going to uh, go through it, and I'm going to write commentaries for it and uh, provide that as well. So there's a lot coming down that ladder for the Patreons, and just so much, in fact, that I, that's why I'm doing it exclusively for them, because it's, I think it's a ministry in of itself for these individuals who have come alongside me in this. But uh, like I said, for a dollar a month, you can hit on that and you I, you won't be disappointed. We have a lot of people that absolutely love it. And uh, there's so much that goes into this that they get back. And, uh, you know, I would be, you know, you can, I, you can ask any of them and they absolutely love the community and the connections they get for it. So without waiting any further, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into the meat of the show. We've got a lot to cover and uh, I want to try to get through this uh, as quickly as possible today. We've been pushing over an hour each week and it has just been, um, there's been a lot to take on. And so sometimes, you know, I apologize ahead of time because the longer shows can can be daunting to listen to. You know, 40 to 45 minutes seems to be like, oh, I can listen to it in a car ride or I can, you know, grab it, you know, on a lunch break type thing. But when they're over an hour, it can definitely be uh, it could be daunting. So we're going to try to make this episode in about 45 minutes today if we can. 
Um, there's a lot of material here, but I think we can wrap it nicely and kind of put a bow on this section and move on. So let's see what we got. Let's get to verse 12 in chapter 6, and we'll see what John is writing. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slaves and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. So there's a lot happening in this seal. There is a ton going on so i got some notes here we're going to talk a little bit about this but i also want to make sure too we understand some of this context now if you are in the full-fledged dispensationalist category you're going to probably look at this and you're going to you might struggle a little bit this is pretty pretty tough text to uh, dig into with the literal interpretation that this is going to physically happen um, or literally happen. Now, the you know sun becoming black like sackcloth and the moon becoming like blood, that wouldn't be unheard of. We do have some text in the Old Testament uh, where these similar events happen. But then you get this you know, the next verse here in 13, that the stars in the sky fall to earth uh, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit. Uh, the sky vanishing like a scroll being rolled up, and then every mountain and island removed from its place. That's pretty dif- difficult to deal with. Um, so we're going to look at this, and how can we properly understand it, or at least find a manner of accepting of what this text is saying. Now, if you remember uh, the book series left behind. It seems to be quite popular in mainstream Christianity, especially in the dispensationalist circles. Um, there is, a, a, you know, the seven year tribulation, and then they literally go through each of the scrolls breaking. And so each of these horsemen are being released. And then they have uh, this, this sixth seal that's broken and then and then they they actually in the storyline they talk about this and it's you know the great earthquakes the sun blackening out um and and i mean they they try to write this out as being a literal event that will happen um i think they they the they use instead of stars they use meteors falling from the sky and they they accept that as a uh manner of interpretation for the text and that's fine but then you know the story continues that you know i think they were saying at some juncture in the book that people couldn't die when they wanted to and so they're hiding here and they want they're they're crying out for the stones to fall upon them uh, because they are fearing the wrath of the lamb so 
let's kind of before we really get into the crux of things, I got some notes on my screen, but before we get into the crux of things, I kind of want to maybe draw us back to the Olivet discourse with Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead and bring that text up on my screen. And I want to talk about just a little bit of it because I think we can use some of that to potentially um, understand where we are. So, and we're, I don't know how you get too deep into this. We did a whole series on this um, earlier uh, this year. So go back and double check it if you want. But the Olivet Discourse in Matthew is where we used our, our primary text. We looked at Matthew 24 and 25. And so starting in verse 3, we have signs of the end of the age. And then we have the abomination of desolation. And then here in 29, listen to this. We have the coming of the Son of Man. So I want to I want to read this because I think this helps provide context to this sixth seal. So this is what Jesus is saying here. He says in verse 29 in chapter 24 in Matthew, he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. Do you see the connections here? And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then there will appear in heaven the sign of the son of man and all of the tribes of earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming from the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels out with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so I, you know, this is, this is quite astonishing, the connection between the two. And I often think too, we overlook things because we want revelation to kind of stand apart from the rest of scripture. When we try to understand how is the end of times really going to look, are we going to experience a seven year tribulation and are we going to experience the, you know, three and a half years of peace and then three and a half years of, of the seals breaking uh, of the scroll being unwrapped. And then we're going to experience all these turmoils and chaos and tribulations. If we just read this in its context, and even if we wind ourselves back up earlier in chapter six, when we have the four horsemen be presented, it does not stray far from what Jesus is telling us back here in Matthew. And, we will have these false prophets. We will have these, you know, these these rulers and conquerors coming. We have the abomination of des- of desolation here in verse fifteen and twenty in the twenty fourth chapter. And then we, you know, we have all of these events happening as Jesus is telling his disciples of things that will come. And then we have kind of very similar events happening in Revelation that Jesus is revealing to John. And, and I can't help, again, like I said, but notice the connection here between verses 12 through 17 and Matthew, uh, starting here in verse 29. It, it, they line up identically, almost. I mean, we, we can't discard the connection here. And I think if you were to say that, no, these are two separate events, there's a big problem here. There's a there's a big problem, I feel, if we were to say that these are two separate events. So let's get ourselves into the text a little bit deeper and let's see how we can unpack and 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 talk about this text responsively and respectfully. 
So the cycles of history begin back in Revelation 4 can be identified with various presentations of final judgment. The first cycle, beginning in chapter 4, presents the seven seals of history, including the disruption of creation uh, as six chapter 6, verses 12 through 17 read, and chapter 7's corresponding vision of the assembled saints in heaven. We just read that. Subsequ- uh, subsequent visions will present the blowing of the final trumpet at which the dead are judged and the destroyers are destroyed. Revelation 11 verses 15 through 19. The coming of the angels to reap the earth with a great sickle, as 14 will tell us, the pouring out of the bowls of wrath in in chapter 16, the fall of Babylon the Great in 18, the white horseman who treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God in chapter 19, and the great uh, white throne judgment in which Satan and the unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire in chapter 20, These seven scenes explore different facets of the same great event, which Revelation 6.17 labels the great day of God's wrath. So it's very easy to see how we would try to separate these events and create separate timestamps for them. But really, they're just describing the same cosmic event, the great day of God's wrath. And they're just giving us more details, and they're painting this picture in a better sense for us. So the terms of the first cycle of history found in Revelation 4 through 7, these are chapters 4 through 7, the day of great judgment appears with the opening of the sixth seal. The first four seals unleashed the horsemen of conquest, violence, famine, and death, depicting the woes that characterize the entire church age from Christ's ascension until his return. The fifth seal shows the souls of martyrs in heaven who have died in the midst of the woes in the first four seals. The sixth seal answers the prayer of the martyrs for justice and vengeance of the dwellers on earth. God told them to wait until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete. So this is where we're at. The sixth seal is broken. And what we see here is this answer to the prior seal with the martyrs who have been killed throughout the entire church age as a, as you know, a result of the first four horsemen's conquest. Uh, you know, each horseman had a particular uh, designation: conquest, violence, famine, and death. But each, as we talked about last week, represents periods of history where violence and tribulation have occurred against the church and around the world. And those martyrs who died standing up for the you know, for the gospel who went into hostile regions, preaching the gospel in order to win souls to Christ, they are crying out, when will our deaths be avenged? And so that's what the seal is representing, right? It's the, the judgment against those who are, uh, have essentially persecuted the church. So as we consider this disruption of creation as depicted here uh, in these few verses, two important questions have to be answered. First, are these depictions to be taken symbolically or more or less literally? Obviously, we talked about that just a few minutes ago. And second, what is the event they describe? Okay, 
So there are two main answers to these questions. Those who hold to a preterist position, we talked about this way back when we looked at the uh, Olivet Discourse, where we shed some light here again, uh, hold to that this uh, cataclysmic language is symbolic of a societal upheaval and collapse rather than describing a physical uh, desolation. Under this view, which is coupled with the earlier dating of the book of Revelation, the calamity described here is not the final judgment, but the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. An alternative view holds that while symbolic language is used, the sixth seal depicts literal calamities at the end of the world and final judgment. Uh, the arguments that the preterists in, uh, in favor of the symbolic interpretation are quite impressive. Uh, primarily, they show that these images of physical calamity are drawn from Old Testament passages in which use the same images as historical events describing God's interventions and especially during uh, depicting the fall of cities and empires. So we have the earthquake appears in Exodus 19.18 to depict God's arrival on Mount Sinai. And then and uh, we have others that uh, the sun is darkened in Egypt in Exodus 19, Ezekiel 32, um, and, and so on and so forth. And so we have kind of an impressive view of literal events where that these would happen. And as I mentioned, I, I can't argue with the fact that this isn't literal. What I'm trying to argue is whether these events truly have ha already happened. And that's what a preterist would try to argue is that they will first take it from a literal interpretation and then second try to pin it into some sort of nest egg that these calamities have already happened. And so we have, like I said, the biggest piece that they try to point to is that uh, in this uh, these events partake these temple being overthrown in Jerusalem in 70 AD since Revelation 613 alludes to a fig tree which Jesus uses as the image of Israel's judgment back in Matthew 21 uh, they will try to argue that this is nothing more than the event that happened and and here's the here's the interesting piece and I don't really quite understand how they can come to this argument because they try to say that obviously and we would agree with them that a lot of the uh, vocabulary used by Jesus and John here uh, point to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The problem is with the the sky shattering open, they, it doesn't really seem to fit well into this because uh, some of them would actually even argue that we're really in already the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, which that doesn't make sense either. I know there's some some people that hold that view, but that to me seems a very radical um, interpretation of this text. So there are reasons, however, to take a differing view that the sixth seal foretells a literal uh, desolation of 
creation and the final judgment of God. First, while we agree that this symbolism was often used in the Old Testament for falling empires and the conquest of cities, there are other passages that show us the temporal judgments anticipate the great and final day of judgment uh, when the earth itself will be destroyed. Isaiah 24 uses imagery of the sixth seal saying that the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. The Lord will punish the hosts of heaven and uh, in heaven and the kings of the earth and on the earth. Isaiah 24, 1 and verse 21. Most significantly is the prophecy in Isaiah 34, 4, which reads, All the hosts of heaven shall not shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll. All of their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. So again, we have a lot of connectivity here between what's written in verses 12 through 17 and Isaiah 34, 4 and Matthew 24, 29. So a lot of webs to connect here. And so this is what we're trying to paint this picture of is how do these work together? Obviously, this is the great mystery that has plagued theologians for 2,000 plus years, right? You know, if we look back at uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah, people had overwhelming difficulties trying to articulate the book of Ezekiel and trying to understand what is going on in this writing. What is this prophet telling us? And we talked a little bit about that earlier in some episodes on Revelation because now we can actually look back and see how Ezekiel falls into place now that the book of Revelation is given to us. But then we have Isaiah here given a similar context in 34, 4 uh, and 24 um, around what's happening at the end of times. So finally, a literal reading of the sixth seal fits Jesus' depiction in the Olivet Discourse. Right, We've said that a few times now. Jesus spoke of the sun being darkened and the moon not giving light, the star, stars falling from heaven and the powers of heaven being shaken. As he notes here uh, in verses 29-32, there Jesus uses again the metaphor of a fig tree the same in the same sense that Isaiah 34-4 states and here in the book of Revelation. Uh, as a lesson that needs uh, to be as a lesson of need to be ready for the end of times, this literal teaching is confirmed in Peter's second reading or Peter's second letter. The heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. As Peter writes in the third chapter of his second letter, verse 10. So we have some extraordinarily amazing connections here um, as we kind of get to this point. And, you know, I think John is describing some symbolic language uh, of the calamities of God that will be unleashed upon earth here in the end of times. And I think it's, I think it's relatively okay for us to say, um, that they will point us to that moment when Christ will return. I think that I think it's appropriate to say that because as we look here, you know, this earthquake, the sun, the moon, these uh, have been already 
taken care of in terms of understanding the context when we went through the Olivet Discourse, and I don't see them being a separate event. Um, you know, the the fig tree is another interesting um, use here, and emphasizing how insignificant even the majestic heavenly bodies are when they are compared to the power of God's judgment. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we will see that all of this will pass away because God's judgment will be finalized. And I think it's kind of a beautiful picture for us really to understand where does all of this land for us? Well, I mean, if we were to try to put it into a particular timeline, we can't because there's not any good time frame given thus far in the book of Revelation in terms of, you know, what would be the quote unquote kicking off point. And that's why we people will have to go out to Paul's letter in Second uh, Thessalonians and borrow from what Paul writes with a quote unquote rapture, which we've already discussed. We don't believe would happen, uh, but they will try to borrow from that saying that this is the beginning point, the church is raptured, and then these events will ensue. We don't really get that in of itself, right? So we've gone through now six complete chapters in the book of Revelation, and we don't have anywhere that would depict any of this happening. What we do see is the warnings from Jesus over and over and over again to be ready, whether it is in season, out of season, we are to be prepared and and stay vigilant, stay sober-minded, because these events could happen at any time. The only thing that we're really given an idea of uh, is, is early here in chapter 6. I'm going to read this for you. Uh, in verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long... Before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So verse 11 here really kind of gives us gives us a little bit of a peek, nothing definitive, but a little bit of a peek to say that this is the point where they must have a little more patience and wait until he gathers all of the elect. So once that happens, then, you know, we don't know whether that happens. And then the sixth seal is broken. There's really no time frame given to us here. So it could be, you know, uh, they could have already cried out and then they're waiting. So these first five seals could be open and the four horsemen could essentially be unleashing their, you know, their their destruction upon the earth now and has been for 2,000 years, which would then lead to the martyrs being killed and kept under the altar, crying out to the Lord throughout this time period. And then the six seals broken, which would then give us the final um, point of which Christ is going to come in return. Because we have that here right that they the lamb is revealed and he uh and fear is stricken into the world leaders the governors the generals the powerful all these people they're scrambling into the mountains and caves and calling out for the rocks to crumble upon them because they fear the wrath that is coming 
They fear the judgment because they finally can see that they will answer for their sins. So I think that it's best to say that as we look and conclude here in chapter six, that these individuals will, or this event will partake at the very end of time when Christ returns, sends his angels out to gather the elect. And from what we can gather, this event won't happen until all of the elect are gathered. And, And back in verse 11, it kind of alludes to that the total number of people to be martyred will happen, but we can also look by looking at other scripture that all of the elect will be reached. The gospel will complete its job in a sense that all of the people will come to know Christ, whether they are martyred or not. And so when that happens, then we can safely say, hopefully that the seal will be broken again. We don't know how many people are of the elect. We don't know if that is included in, you know, the bigger um, in the bigger picture of all the things. We don't know, you know, any of that. So all we can do is keep sharing the gospel with the broken world that we live in. All right. So we're going to get here to um, through these uh, the and uh, we've got the tribes of Israel. Um, I'm going to probably butcher it. So we're going to just go from five till eight and we're just going to kind of hover over that text because there's some names that I'm just going to butcher. And for time's sake, we're going to, I'll allow you to go back and reread them if you want. So we're going to read, uh, one through four, and then we're going to pick back up in verse nine. Um, so after this, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the sea and the earth, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then from these uh, these tribes, 12,000 from each tribe. And so let's look at these um, a, little bit, a little bit closer here. Um, so some incorrectly interpret this number literally as though only a tiny fraction of humankind, only 144,000 will be sealed. Uh, some will interpret that this is the, the total amount, which we could say by Christians from the time that Christ has ascended till now, we've easily exceeded that number. Instead, this number ought to be taken more symbolically like many others, uh, as signifying the full number of believers from every time and place. Now, Israel refers to the true Israel uh, as defined by Paul in Romans 9, 8, which reads, this means that not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. All true believers from both before and after Christ are members of the 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. This differs from all of the Old Testament lists of Israelite tribes, perhaps signifying its symbolical characters, <coughs> excuse me. And it begins with uh, Judea, the tribes of the Messiah, Joseph and his sons, uh, Man- Manasheah, 
I probably butchered that name. I apologize. Are included separately. However, Joseph's other sons, Ephraim, is missing. Though the tribe was famous for leading Israel, Levi, the priestly tribe, is included, though they did not inherit land in Israel. But Dan is excluded, a tribe that founded that was founded earlier in Israel's history. So it's interesting how we have some of these tribes listed here, but not all of the tribes um, that we would think we would see. Because we have, you know, the tribe of Dan, which is talked about in Judges 18. The Dananites take the Levite and the idol. So we have that, but they're excluded here. And so it's easier to probably assume that this 144,000 actually is more a symbolical understanding of this of this of this number right it, it would just be it would be kind of crazy to assume that only 144,000 are sealed all right so this is a kind of an interesting little side note here a prominent example is the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that only 144,000 people will spend eternity in heaven uh, this they further teach that this number was achieved in 1935 so that believers after that date will not enter heaven, but will make up the blessed multitudes on earth, which they they see described here in Revelation 7, 9 through 17, as we will get to here in a few minutes. Uh, not only is there no basis for this interpretation, but there are two groups, uh, but but it gets the two groups Exactly backwards. Uh, in John's vision, the 144,000 sealed are undergoing trials on earth, and the vast multitude describes the Christians in heaven, whereas the Jehovah's Witnesses will flip this backwards. Uh, another literal approach is taken by dispensationalists who make up the majority of evangelical Christians in America. Uh, dispensationalists begin with the premise that Israel and the church. Uh, the Christian church are separate bodies with different eternal destinies. Uh, they also interpret Revelation's visions in an exclusivity, futuristic sense as pertaining only to the future sequence of the years before Christ's return. This is seven years of tribulation. Um, so with this, with these presuppositions, dispensationalists will see the 144,000 as a literal number of ethnic Jews who convert to Christ after the rapture and bear witness to the gospel in the final days. Again, if you read the Left Behind series, they they make this like crystal clear. They 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 really emphasize that these people are sealed and they have this like it's so. It's so literal that they say that the seal on their forehead can only be seen by other Christians. And so they make it, again, extremely literal. And uh, the text really doesn't allude to much of that for us. So um, so verses 1 through 8, John's vision depicts God placing this protective seal on his people and thus making them as those who were to be who will be delivered from the great and final conflagration. Given the signs that 
daily surround us, God could release this devastating winds of his judgment at any moment. Yet God holds back now because he is patient towards you, not wishing that any of us should perish, but that we should reach repentance. The second Peter three, nine states, obviously we know who Peter was writing to in this, in this passage. Um, and we know that Peter was writing to Christians. And so God is still patient with Christians because we are our own. Pro- we create our own problems for us. We stumble. We are terrible at managing anything. But here's the beauty. You will continue to do so and you will continue to sin. You are not a sin manager. You are not to uh, be good at managing your sin. You are to repent and move past it and you know, walk in the light of holiness, but good luck with that too, because see, at the end of the day, you're still going to sin because you still have original sin in your blood and you will still be a sinner and saint until the moment you die. Sorry to burst your bubble. All right. So, I mean, there's really, again, there's a lot that we can really kind of pull out of this, but we're just, we would be just chasing down you know, heresies and um, trying to f- kind of come together with with how how could we answer these these numbers? And I think the best depiction for it is is for us to look at it and say that these numbers are a representation of all of the people um, that will be protected from persecution. Uh, it doesn't tell us whether it'll be ethnic Jews or just Jewish people. It looks like, you know, these do come from the tribes of Israel. And so we could say that they potentially could be, um, you know, individuals who would convert to Christ and would experience in the latter days protection against uh, ultimate judgment or persecution on earth. But, uh, and, and as well, you know, God's, Judgment. You know, they would be sealed from that and they would have Christ as their advocate in order to have eternal life. So let's move into 9 through 17 here and we're going to get kind of the last piece of our show for you. Um, John writes, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Right immediately we can look at the Jehovah's Witnesses accounts and tell them they're completely wrong because we have all these numbers that nobody can number standing in the throne room worshiping God. And so we know that the 144,000 sealed would be more of a instance happening on the earth versus some only sealed for, uh, to partake in the eternal glory. So they like the, like the notes I was reading, they, they get this, this text backwards. And if we read this correctly, the great multitudes that nobody could number are the ones standing in heaven. Verse 10, John continues and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our Lord who sits, uh, I'm sorry, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders, the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and the might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes from uh, where from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of lamb. Therefore, they were before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, nor th- neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water and God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that concludes the seventh chapter in the book of revelation. Again, we have this um, multitude likely uh, describes the 144,000 as described by them, but this is a number that can't be counted. Um, These are all believers as the text further clarifies, who have survived the Great Tribulation. And again, we're kind of getting into uh, potentially if we if we follow this guy, if we follow this timeline, we go from the sixth seal being broken at the end of chapter six, Christ gathering the elect. And now we have all of these people in heaven worshiping God and they are partaking in this celebratory moment crying out, praising God. And we can see that this would be kind of one of those moments, potentially post, you know, earth, if you would. So they have, they're clothed in white robes. They have palm branches, the symbol of victory in their hands. uh, And they are displayed when victorious, uh, these palm branches were given as a symbol of victorious Kings that would be welcomed as they entered Uh, Jerusalem, the same thing that we see with Jesus entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Uh, He's the victorious king. But now in heaven, they are waving these palm branches because Christ is the victor. That's kind of the theme through this short series. Uh, They fall on their uh, their salvation. They cry out Hosanna. Um, They cried this out on Palm Sunday. And again, they're doing it here that he alone is the is the king of salvation. You know, salvation belongs to God alone. And this is the argument I feel sometimes that falls back into some of these evangelical circles that people want to try to contribute their works or their ability to, you know, welcome Christ into their lives. Or even here, I'm going to, I'm going to put a wrench into some people's minds. Their, uh, quote unquote ability to say that they can now be baptized, and this is why I don't believe in a uh, in a pedo Baptist position because they will say, "Well, I made the decision to be baptized." Well, no, you didn't. God did for you. So this is this is where we get into the arguments of synergistic and monergistic salvation. Because see, even in some of these really reformed circles, they will they will shout to their death, uh, monergistic salvation. But then they'll, then they'll make the a testament that they made the decision for baptism, which would completely remove the context of baptism from, you know, the Christian walk. And it would make it a work or, you know, some of them would say, well, it's just a, it's just a symbolism of my salvation. 
Now we can get into the discussion of baptism later, which I'm hoping to have a short series on uh, on some stuff like that this summer. So stay tuned for that. But anyways, salvation belongs to God alone. It doesn't matter what you say, what you do. Salvation belongs to God. There's nothing that we can contribute to our salvation. Um, there's not anything we can give to God to earn our salvation. There's no works that we can do that would please God in our salvation. It is all on him. Uh, so then we get into the text here. They fall to their faces. This is another uh, rewind back to earlier with John falls to his face in chapter one. And then we have it in four again. Blessing and glory. The company of heaven repeats their refrain. This happens over and over and over again that the worship is the continual praising and shouting of blessings and glory, honor knowledge, wisdom, thanksgiving, power, might, all these things are only belonging to God forever and all and ever. Uh, and then we get into verses 14 here, the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Uh, John's vision uh, includes the faithful from every nation and every time. It is only appropriate for us to see uh, those who have yet to live faithfully here on earth as a part of this gathering. In fact, when Christians gather for worship in this world, they may be understood as participating by faith in the ongoing heaven, heavenly praise. So we can, you know, and I think anybody would agree to that, that function that when we gather on Sunday mornings to praise and worship God, it is a continual praise that is going on in heaven. So this white and blood given here, the paradox, white is the color of purity in Christ. People are purified by his blood shed for them. Obviously, we know that blood is red and it stains and it's hard to get out. But the blood of Christ washes us clean of our sin. So kind of a little bit of a paradox there. So 717 here in the midst of the throne, uh, kind of a throwback here to three to Chapter 3, verse 21, the springs of living water. Jesus spoke of this gift during his earthly ministry in John 7, verses 37 and 38. uh, That these verses describe in heaven very positive terms, and this is what Luther says on it. While worms and rottenness are before our eyes, we cannot be unminded of them. Nevertheless, there will be a time when God will wipe away every tear, as is stated in Revelation 7.17. Therefore, faith should begin to forget tears and dishonor, which it does not see. Although the eyes see the rottenness, the ears hear the complaints and the sobs and the noses smell the stench of corpses, nevertheless, it is a part of faith to say, I do not know this. I see nothing. Indeed, I see a multiplication and a brightness surpassing the sun itself and the stars. Therefore, such examples are set before us in order that we may learn that God is the creator of all things, restores the dead to life. And glorifies worms in the foulest rottenness. And he wants this to be acknowledged and celebrated by us in this life of faith. Later, however, in the future life, we shall experience it in an actual moment. So John here in these last few verses gives us this glimpse into the glory that belongs to Christ alone. How incredible would it be to be a part of this? Drawn onward and upward by the magnificence and hope of Christ, God's people get to join together 
in this heavenly chorus forever. And we even get to do it now as we come together. And this is why worship is so important for the Christian, because we get to partake in this and we get to enjoy our time worshiping God. And that's what we get and should be moving forward to in this life. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're going to wrap this show on that point. Um, Chapter eight, these next few verses will get us to the seventh seal and the golden censer. Uh, So we will look at that next week. And then the seven trumpets, and uh, we will move through that uh, probably over the next couple of episodes. And we'll see where that takes us. So I didn't get us into the 45-minute mark, but I got us under an hour uh, so I hope this was a little bit easier for us to stomach this week. We're going to try to get it under an hour going forward. We'll see. Um, again, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. If you uh, want to get a part of this ministry, feel free to join us on patreon.com forward slash undying light. You can also contribute to the show via ACAST if you decide to. I don't not bothered either way, but I would love it if you would join us on Patreon because then I can uh, basically upload all my documents and you would be able to see everything we're doing. Again, listener-based sponsorship for this show, and I uh, love and and, and uh, each and every one who have come alongside us on this journey. If you have want to get a hold of me, you can do so via Instagram. But right now, we're taking a break, so shoot us an email. The notes are in the show notes. And uh, that's it for this week, guys. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, concerns, feel free to shoot us an email and we'll talk. Guys, until next week, God bless. We'll see you later. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.